Welcome to the podcast of the Unitarian Universalist Area Church at First Parish in Sherborne. No matter who you are, who you love, we welcome you into our community of religious seekers. Please join us each Sunday for our worship services at 10.30 a.m. More information can be found on our website at uuac.org or visit our Facebook page at Sherborne Unitarian Universalist. Please enjoy the sermon. So I'd like to start, actually, with a brief meditation. So as you hear the remnants of that beautiful music ringing in your ears, I invite you all to close your eyes just for a moment and take a deep breath in and out. I want to invite you to imagine our gathering here not as a bunch of screens, but as a sacred circle of trees. Yes, I am asking you all to imagine us right now in this moment as trees. We are rooted deeply in the center of an ancient forest. Our branches reach out toward each other as water and nutrients flow through our intertwined roots. It is autumn, so some of our leaves are turning red, orange, and golden yellow as they slowly drift from our branches to the ground. Feel the sunshine and the breeze ever so softly swaying our branches. As you visualize all of us as trees, in this moment, take another breath in and out and breathe in the deep peace of the forest. This is the life of a tree when it is rooted in its community of belonging. Thank you. You may open your eyes. So when I was a child, I thought trees were magical. I grew up in Louisiana, as many of you know, a place full of ancient mossy oak trees that I love to climb. And cypress trees with their knees, which are actually part of their root system, but they're called knees, sticking up out of the river water. And I remember as a kid, when we would take boat rides on the river near our house, I would reach like far out over the boat, trying to touch the knees as we floated by. I also remember my grandmother teaching me once that the reason the stands of pine trees behind our house grew so close together was so that the trees could protect each other and hold each other up during heavy storms, like hurricanes. And I was amazed that such seemingly inanimate things actually knew how to take care of each other. But there is scientific proof that healthy trees share water and nutrients through their root systems with sicker trees. It's true. A tree family will keep a dead stump alive, sometimes literally for over a hundred years, you can imagine that, in order for a new tree to eventually grow from it. And trees don't just protect each other, actually. 
In many forests, the branches of the trees stop growing outward as they approach each other so that they can leave room for sunlight to filter down to the plants on the forest floor. There's also evidence that trees can warn other plants in their environment about pestilent bugs and other diseases. They send out warning signals by emitting gases from their leaves into the air, or sometimes they push chemical and electrical signals through their roots. This is all true. I'm not making it up, I promise. So in all of these amazing ways of supporting each other and the environment, I have come to believe that Trees can teach us a lot about belonging. Through these examples that I've just given you and many others, because there are so many other examples, trees show us that we are at our best when we know our belonging to and responsibility for each other. In fact, our very survival and theirs depends on our understanding of that truth. Now the legions of harm that we humans have committed against nature and each other is well documented. We have bulldozed billions of acres of forest across the globe to feed our voracious consumption practices. And in a very similar way, imperial colonialism has decimated countless indigenous cultures, traditions, and people to serve a destructive and centuries long progress narrative. We've eradicated thousands of biodiverse species only to replace them with monoculture tree plantings, which are incapable of restoring biodiversity, and they themselves are planted only to be cut down again and again and again. In a similar way, we have eradicated the cultural biodiversity of our nation by centralizing our white supremacy culture, which prioritizes white people and white practices as the norm, pushing all non-white people cultures and practices to the margins as other. And finally, observing the recent fires out West, I can't help but see in that tragedy an obvious metaphor. As trees explode into matchsticks, our connections to each other and the planet also seem to be set further ablaze, burning a path through our interconnected web of existence and seeming to scorch our hopes for a world of justice and peace. Reckoning with these realities is difficult. I know that. It's really, really hard to take in the enormity of everything I just said. And it feels especially hard right now when everything seems to be at a fever pitch. So for my part, I find a lot of meaning and actually some theological grounding also in a place that you might not expect. The world of pre-Nicene Christianity. And for those of you who are not up on your Christian history, why would you be? Uh, I'm assuming most of you. I will explain a little bit about what I just said. So the Council of Nicaea happened in the year 325 AD, and it formalized for the first time the central doctrine of Christianity as a faith, where Jesus was divine, sent from God to earth, and was sacrificed to save us all from our sins. If you've ever been to a church service where they recited the Nicene Creed, that creed came out of the Council of Nicaea. So in many ways, the purpose of this council was to aid the Emperor Constantine in establishing a state religion 
that would support his efforts of domination and empire across the globe. There's an old saying that Constantine didn't convert to Christianity so much as Christianity converted to Constantine. So before that council, before Constantine, before any of that happened, the early Christians in the first, second, and third centuries practiced a very, very different kind of Christianity. Their central tenet was not the son of God suffering and dying for our sins, but paradise on earth. Paradise on earth was the central core of their faith. Jesus's presence in the world was not as an image of torture and sacrificial death, but as a source of wisdom and love and eternal life. Earth itself was seen and revered as a gift from God to be cherished and preserved, a world of diverse and divine beauty where all beings sought to live together in harmony and mutual flourishing. Instead of waiting and praying for a heaven in the afterlife, which at this time in, our, in that history didn't exist for them, early Christians celebrated the paradise that God gave them right here on earth. Uh, in the Apocalypse of Paul, which is part of New Testament Apocrypha, Apocrypha are writings that were discovered around the time of the Bible, but aren't actually part of the official Bible. So the Apocalypse of Paul is one of those. And in that text, Paul, Paul says, I entered paradise and saw a tree planted from whose roots water flowed out. And the spirit of God rested on that tree and said, from the beginning, before the heavens and earth appeared, the spirit has been resting upon this tree. So why this has meaning for me is because the way I see it, trees and the rest of the natural world are still trying to live in that paradise. They have survived hundreds of millions of years and five mass species extinctions. And they continue to reach for that paradise of interdependent existence that is all of our birthright. And it is our human disavowal of that birthright that threatens them. But nevertheless, trees persist. Speaking of that persistence, the environmental activist and writer, Terry Tempest Williams, spoke in an interview last month on the regeneration that can happen after forest fires. She talked about the mushrooms that spring from the ash as the ground begins to cool, the pine cone seeds that scatter only in extreme heat, ensuring the next generation of trees. She explains that there are indigenous ways of forest burning that bring back a cacophony of life after a fire and help earth heal and regenerate itself. In her poem, A Burning Testament, Williams writes, we are not the only species that lives and loves and breathes on this planet called earth. Trees will grow and forests will rise again as living testaments to how one survives change. I will mark my heart with an X made of ash that says, the power to restore life resides here. We can choose to restore life to our interdependent web. I believe very much that this is true. We can choose to reclaim that power to heal and live into it, or we can continue in our attempts to destroy it. 
Now, friends, I don't think that any of us would ever say that we want to destroy it. Of course not. But our actions matter more than our words. Can we remember the inherent wisdom of belonging that nature has never forgotten? As we seem to teeter ever closer to the edge of annihilation, can we be a part of that great turning away from destruction, away from consumption and greed, and find our own path back to paradise on earth? In this time of brutality, vitriol, and despair, we who know the truth of our interdependent existence with all life on earth need to act in accordance with that truth. Interdependence demands an ethic of belonging. And this ethic of belonging must be rooted in justice and compassion for our fellow beings, both humans and non-humans. I think if we let them, trees can actually teach us this ethic of belonging. But to do otherwise is in its own way to disown nature and to disown each other. So my prayer for us today is that we not forget the birthright of paradise. Let us not forget that sacred grove of belonging that we visualized together at the beginning of this sermon. As earth reckons with grief, greed, and trauma, we too are grappling with a history and a culture that has moved us far from paradise. And yet, in that grappling, may we also know that the power to restore life resides here. May it be so. And amen.